Hi, and thanks for downloading that B-Word podcast. This is your beautiful bipolar host, Becky. I don't know if you can hear it today, guys, but I'm pretty sick, and my voice is basically gone, so I'm not going to do a whole lot of talking. (laughs) I'm going to mention one news story, though, that I thought was pretty cool, and it's uh, a change of pace for me because it's a little more positive than the ones I usually bring up. And that is that New York and Virginia have become the first states to require mental health education in schools, in specifically ninth and 10th grades. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. That's my phone telling me to go to bed. But I think that's a, a great time to get mental health education into kids' hands. So hopefully it'll have a positive effect. All right, without all that being said, I'm going to turn it over to my interview for this week. It was recorded before I was sick, (laughs) so hopefully my voice will be a little bit better there. And it is with uh, Denny Maverick, and I think it was a pretty good interview, so So I hope you enjoy it. I figured we could start talking about what what led you to write your book and go from there. Does that sound okay to you? Okay. Um... Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose, really, I've been writing since I was, I probably started when I was 10 um, and started competing in speech competitions. And it just never stopped. I just always wrote. Um, I was one of those people in English that, you know, just breezed right through it. Mm-hmm. Um So I was always, and people were always telling me, you know, um, all these events that were happening in my life. And it was like, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And one day I was basically laying on the couch and all of a sudden it hit me and I jumped up and my son and my husband were there and they just looked at me and I said, it's time to write the book. (laughs) And I just knew it was time to write the book. <laughs> wow. So it just came on you like a, a flash of inspiration? Yeah, it did. It really did. Like I literally, I was just laid there, you know, kind of thinking. And all of a sudden it just, this is it. This is the time to start. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it seems almost like a. Uh, so it's pretty fortuitous. Um, so what is your book about? Is it, no, you're bipolar, correct? Yes, I have mm-hmm. bipolar disorder. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Book? People always, uh, there's, or I'm never sure if they're going to say, I have bipolar disorder or I am bipolar, <laughs> since there is a yeah. kind of a difference yeah. there. But Yeah. Um, the book is, it's called Wacky and Proud of It. Um <laughs> Because what it is, is basically the first part of the book is my story. Mm -hmm. And when people often think bipolar, they think happy, sad. Right. Um, That isn't even the tip of the iceberg. Um, People don't realize what it's like to live with a mental illness. What is, what, how does that affect your life? So the first part of the book is my story, and it's all the dirt, the raw, the every screw up, every 
um, terrible thing that happened. It's all in my story. And um, then the second part of the book, it's not self-help. It just talks about what I do now to basically live a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm termed in recovery, but basically all that means is that I win more battles than I lose. Um, but there are, you know, there's in recovery does not mean it's gone. I still have to fight every mm-hmm. day. Um, and purposely do the things that I do. Um, so it requires work and a lot of work. So it just talks about what I do and how I make that I've reached a point where I have a quality of life because mm-hmm. before I didn't. Um, it was just a dark pit. Yeah. Um, so that's that's basically what the second half is. Yeah, it sounds so, like um, it's written to give people hope. Maybe oh, who are that is you nailed it right there. Mm-hmm. It's to let people know number one, they're not alone. Um, and for that reason, to give hope mm-hmm. um, because I was in a point of complete psychosis. Okay. Um, and now I work, I do, I write, I speak, I, um, you know, I, I've been able to live my dream, um, which is writing the book. Um, and trust me, that is no easy feat. I mm-hmm. had no idea what I was getting into when I started that. Um, so, yeah, so that 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 is a, a, a major component of why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us? I don't want you to give away your whole book. But. No, no, that's okay. Um, it started when I was 16. That was the onset of it, really. Um, and mom and dad divorced. And uh, I had my first suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And that was at 16. And that led into a complete whole of depression for a year um and then the mania started after that and my mania can last up to a year Mm -hmm. um where uh then i i would have some quote unquote normal um times um But I was, through my life, I don't know how many times I was hospitalized. I lost count. And they always sent me home with medication, but nobody ever told me what was wrong. Hmm. Nobody had an answer for me. And um, it wasn't until I was 30 years old and was hospitalized again. Now, this is exactly how it happened. I was in the psych ward. And the the TV was on in the common room. And I happened to walk by and Oprah Winfrey was on. And she was interviewing somebody who had bipolar disorder. And I stood there and I was like, oh, my God, that's me. Mm-hmm. So and no one had I, told you that your diagnosis was bipolar at that time? No. Wow. No. 
No, it start, like I said, it started at 16. I was 30 years old. Nobody had diagnosed me. Wow. And uh, I went to my doctor and I said, you know, I told him, I said, I have bipolar disorder. And honestly, he looked at me and said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I thought, okay, here's all my faith in, you know, the medical community just gone right out the window. Right. Um, so then it was years of trying medications and doing and it um, after it was right after I had my second child um, that this happened. And I was right the opposite. Instead of going into a postpartum depression, I went manic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it talks about I at one point I I've had. ECTs, uh, electroconvulsive shock treatments done. I've probably had 12, 12, 24, 25 treatments done in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do this help you? Yes. It, well, the first time it destroyed me. Mm. Um, it fried my memory. Um, and I, I mean it. It took away all my memories. Um, I do not remember either one of my children being born. Oh, no, that's, that's awful. Um, I don't remember what they felt like. I don't remember what they looked like. I don't remember any of it. Um, so, but then uh, my mania got worse. And at one point, I was, it was about a year that I was in psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um and that basically destroyed my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while before we finally, I had one doctor that doubled my medication, poisoned my mind, sent me into insanity for two years. Um, so sometimes, you know, the medical profession does more harm than good. Um, so once they controlled that um and so it took it wasn't until I was about 50 before I actually reached 52 probably like 52 mm-hmm. by the time I reached that I could say stability wow so I had 20 years of just unbelievable chaos Mm-hmm. in my life and nobody the doctors had no idea what bipolar was they know what's in the book right mm-hmm. um and medication wise it's a crapshoot right um let's try this well we'll try no well, we'll add this well let's take and they're not taking into account the withdrawals the then when you start a medication all the side effects and it is basic hell to go through mm-hmm. while they're trying to figure out what medications you should be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes bipolar disorder um, so difficult is because there's no standardized treatment. Right. Um, you can't say, okay, well, this works for one, so this will work for another. Um there's a whole pharmacy full of medications and they just start pulling them and start trying and adding. And I I know at one point I was on 
almost 10 medications. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And yeah, and just most of the time completely zoned out of it in my own reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not depressed. No, I'm not manic. But can I think for myself? No. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can I function as a normal human being? No. Um, yeah. So it was like, well, you know, which do you want? Do you want to be in uh, bed um, where you can't move uh, because the depression is so bad? Or do you want to just sit there and stare at the wall? Right. Um, you know, those are your options. So it it. it when I say it took a lot of work, it took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe the fact that doctors do tend to switch up your medications fairly often and make is part of the reason why so many people with bipolar disorder kind of tend to stay away from the doctors as much as possible? <laughs> I oh, guess it yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oh. tend to like shun medication changes and things like that. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm in various support groups, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, on Facebook type things, the groups. Right. And I, I, I read it so often um, that people are going through so much with the medications that they just decide I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, too many side effects, putting me through too much. So I'm not taking any medication. Right. And so then there's no stability, you know, then they live with the uh, the cycle of bipolar. Um, But they or they stop seeing their doctor because their doctor is just messing with medication. So definitely Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it's such a rigmarole to have to go through so many medications and all that you go through it definitely, uh, a lot of people just can't handle um, what it puts them through. They, You can almost look at it sometimes and think, okay, well, which is worse, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people decide, no, it's not worth it with the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I am, uh, I have to say I'm a firm believer in medication because I'd never go without mine. Um Right, and it seems to have stabled you, stabilized you pretty well. Yes, and I'm on very few medications now. I'm only on three different medications mm-hmm. um, as opposed to what I was on. So, yes, we have reached a point where, uh, where we've reached stability. Um, but like I said, you know, it took a long time to get here. Right, yeah. Um, so, but... And a lot of it involved that I had to speak up. Okay. You know, and the doctor would say, well, we're going to this. Well, I'm going to research the medication and then I'm going to tell you no. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to take that. You know, you find something else. Right. Um, and so you, you have to you have to do the work on your own, too. Mm-hmm. Um, to find out about medications yeah. um, and to just, you know, um, say what you like, 
how can I explain this? Um, it, it's it's not taking it's taking responsibility for your mental health as opposed to just handing it over to the doctor and letting them play guinea pig with you. Right. Yeah. You know, which is basically what they're doing. They're just like, well, we'll try this and then we'll try mm-hmm. that. Well, we'll give a little bit of this and. You know, you're not making a cocktail here and serving drinks at a bar, you know. Yeah. You can't just take a shot of this and a shot of that and make a, you know, sex on the beach type kind of drink. You know? Yeah, that would be that would be awesome if they could do it like that. But yeah. you um, yeah. so you're an advocate of um, being able to tell your doctor, no, I'm not going to take that. I did. Mm-hmm. Yes, because, um, like I said, when he poisoned me, and that's when I realized, okay, you know, <clears throat> and I started reading up on some medications, and the higher dosage actually did more harm than good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there were there was one of my medications in particular where... We decided, and you know, it, it's it's working with your doctor as well, right? Uh, but I said, you know, can we try lowering this? And when we lowered it, it became more effective than when I was on the higher dose. Hmm. Okay. Um, so um, some medications don't need to be um, in as high. I feel this is strictly my personal opinion. But I think some of the dosages that are given are too high. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of times they use the one size fits all um, as far as dosages go. You know, they look it up in the DISM-5 and it's like, okay, well, this much, that's how much you get. Right. Well, yeah. each individual is different. Yeah. So they're going to require different dosages. Right, how you metabolize the medicine and right. all of that, yeah. Right. I've heard that there's a test that doctors can do now that will kind of point out what medicines you're more likely to um, to be able to be susceptible to uh, as opposed uh, to be resistant to. Have you yes, heard about that? Yes, there are. We have grown in the sense that um, because when I talk about how bad mine was, that was you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have progressed uh, without a doubt in the fact that um, um, there's more testing that's being done. Um, There's more that the doctors can do to see about medications as opposed to just piling them on. Um, So we have come a long way. Um, But we've got a ways to go Mm -hmm. until doctors actually. And the thing is, is that there's testing available, but not a lot, not all of them use it. Right. Yeah. I've never actually had the test done either. Yeah. No, they just they stick to their old ways, you know, look in the book and, you know. Um, So a lot of them aren't really advanced. Mm -hmm. Uh, I shouldn't use the word advanced, but just aren't keeping up with what's new right? as far as bipolar um, disorder goes. But 
now back in in oh my god i make myself sound so old back in my day um bipolar was new right most people yeah. didn't even know what it was yeah that was back um, when they called it manic depression right yeah in the dsm and or just plain crazy you know um so there was little little known about it and as far as uh physician understanding it was basically out of a book mm-hmm. um and the thing is is that when you go to a doctor and you have been living a life of hell and they say well you know let's try this to fix it you will do anything yeah to fix it you know, they can tell you to, well, climb on top of that building and then do a strip tease. And then oh, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I got that. You know, you'll do whatever they tell you. Um, so, you know, you have to say, I want this done. Um, you know, um, let's do more testing. Let's do this a little slower. Let's, mm-hmm. you know... So that kind of thing, whereas that you play more of a role in determining um, what your treatment is going to be. Mm -hmm. I believe it's always best when the psychiatrist works with your regular family doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm thinking the regular family doctor is probably the one that would give the the blood test for the, the susceptibility to medicine. Uh, usually yes. Yeah. 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 The doctor will do any of the, uh, I know a lot of times too, is that the, um, I know here in Nova Scotia, um, they've got a, oh yeah, really intelligent system. The only time you see a psychiatrist is if you're in crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have somebody that maintains you. So they get you out of the crisis, um, and then they send you back to your family doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your family doctor is in charge of your medication. But then you don't see a psychiatrist until you hit a crisis again. Yeah. And then they'll send you back to the psychiatrist. You know, it's an absolutely ridiculous system. Do you feel, um, do you find that your regular family doctor is... Um, knowledgeable about those things? No. 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 I wasn't sure if the Uh, training was different or not. Yeah, she writes a prescription. That's it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's it. Writes the prescription. Um, Never asks me, like, how are you maintaining or how are you sleeping? Um, Because I believe sleep is is a huge factor. Oh, definitely. Um, and never checking how my maintenance is going. Um, uh, if if uh, I've got a sore toe, oh, well, that's, you know, we can handle that. Um, but if you're not sleeping and you spent a couple days in bed and you can't seem to shake it and, oh, that's too bad. Um, do you need any more prescriptions like mm-hmm. that? That's... You know, there's a lot of the family doctors um, are really, really not educated Mm -hmm. 
um, in mental illness. Yeah, and that's unfortunate since it seems to like to be that they're your primary right source to go to for that. Right, they're they're the ones that are in the front line. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different from how it is in my experience because I do get to see um, well a psychiatric nurse practitioner regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, not the the therapist not as regularly <laughs> because right. it's it's kind of hard to get in to see them. Do you have the same problems as far as scheduling goes? Oh, we um well, I'll tell you now. Um we have uh I call it an epidemic right now with uh teen suicide. Oh dear. And I went in to see there was one day I was in to see my psychiatrist. And um, I had run into a problem with my anxiety. And uh, uh, the medication I was on wasn't working. So back to the psychiatrist I go. But there was a sign on the glass area. And it said that the wait time for uh, the IWK, which is where they treat children and teens. I think it's up to 19 or 18. Mm-hmm. 18. And uh, wait times from time of referral was 90 days. Oh, man. A lot can happen in 90 days. A lot can happen in 90 days. I know of one particular. It hit me so hard. One particular mother that I met that her daughter went into the hospital three times for attempted suicide. Oh, no. And each time they said they didn't have room. And they sent her home. And at one point, the mother tried to say, I'm not taking her home. Mm -hmm. You know, um, she's going to try again. And they said, well, that would be considered desertion. And um, your child would go into the system so she had to take her home but on the fourth attempt she was successful Mm. so if she had been able to get the treatment she'd still be alive now right yeah that's heartbreaking yeah it really is it really is and I see that you know um if I go to do a talk or something in a school um, you know, you see it and they're just, the help isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that seems know, to be we're in, kind of across the board as far as the, yeah, it's, yeah. uh, the U S Canada, the UK all seem to be having the same problems. Yeah. There's just, the money's not going the, the, Oh, if I could get to our prime minister, I would clock him on the head and just say, listen, you idiot. Do you realize what's happening in your country? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just we're not getting the attention we need. Right. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And I hear it all the time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So you do public speaking. Is that right? Yes, I do. Yeah, and do you mostly go to schools and things like that? Um, I do. Um, I'm, like, a, available to do schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just starting um, into the speaking sector. Um, so that's um, 
but that's something that uh, the my lady that deals with marketing, um, that's something that we're starting to work on. Okay. Um, is me doing more speaking because it's great that, you know, I know this stuff and I've experienced this stuff. But if we don't get it out there mm-hmm. and if somebody doesn't start making noise mm-hmm. um, and start fighting for the people that can't make the noise, then nothing's going to get any better. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And especially if you're going to schools and reaching young people that are really, you know, at the prime of being vulnerable to things like that. Well, that's what I really want to do, because uh, it's to reach to those kids Um, because like, I know that's when mine started was Mm -hmm. when I was 16. Um, and a lot of times it's, uh, late teens, um, and early twenties, um, that bipolar disorder can be triggered, Mm -hmm. um, and anxiety and depression. And, um, and those are at the highest risk for suicide as well, the ages. So, you know, there needs to be definitely more focus and more information given um, to these kids, mm-hmm. um, as well as parents, right. um, yeah. for things to look for. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, and parents, a lot of times they know there's a problem, but it's like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's helping parents and it's helping the kids and giving them a chance to see that I tried many times. And one time, basically, I was successful, but they brought me back. Oh, thank goodness. Um, And so I understand, but I'm proof that it does get better. Mm -hmm. It can get better. Um, as absolutely hopeless, and I mean hopeless, as it looks at the time. Um, There is hope. It can get better. But it's convincing these kids that they need to speak. Right. Um, And that they need to reach out. They need to tell somebody. And, and, And to make it so that suicide is not this huge taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, don't say the word out loud, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be discussed because there's too many of these kids that basically die of embarrassment. Right, yeah. The, you know, ashamed. because, yeah, they're too embarrassed to say anything. Or... They um, they don't know where to turn or they feel there's nowhere to turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then we lose them, you know, so it has to be it has to be brought out into the open and discussed so that kids that are in that situation are much more likely to be able to reach out and say, um, what they're going through and how they're feeling, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't feel that, you know, everybody's going to run away from them instead of anybody coming in and supporting them. Right. Yeah. That's the fear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, oh, yeah, not a problem at all. Great. Do you want to uh, let everybody know how they can contact you if they want you to speak at their event or? Oh, sure. Um, I have a Facebook page and it's under Denny Maverick and it's D-E-N-N-I-E Maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K. I also am, uh, I also am on Twitter, Twitter. Um, and I also have a blog and the blog is titled after the book, Wakey, ah, ah, Wacky <laughs> and Proud of It. Um, but I can be reached as well. Uh, I have an email, um, that is Denny.Maverick, mm-hmm. um, at gmail.com. I can be reached there. Um, so there are different ways that, uh, and my, my blog is, um, is a great way, um, to, because I, I'm in there all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a great place. I'd love to have people, um, starting to talk and leaving comments and talking about their situation. Mm -hmm. And I'd like my blog to be more than just a place where, you listen to me rant. Um, <laughs> I'd like people to start telling their stories and getting it out there. And, you know, the more you tell your story, the more the other people are going to say, oh, guess what? Me too. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Do you have the uh, uh, website address for the blog? Uh, for the blog? Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on a second now. <laughs> Yeah, I have it right here. And it is, it's on WordPress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's wacky and proud of it dot WordPress dot com. Okay, great. And hopefully people will come to your blog and, and uh, share their stories as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's, I'd love to see that. Um, I post a lot of things on my Facebook as well, um, and people can leave comments there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I'd really like to, to start getting people talking. Um, but if, uh, if anybody ever wanted me to speak anywhere, that, that wouldn't be a problem at all. Um, I'd jump at the chance. <laughs> Uh, and I'm a bit of an entertainer as well. Um, I'm sarcastic as hell. <laughs> um, so, and you will pick up on that in my book too. As dark as the book can be, mm-hmm. I couldn't write a memoir without having my humor in it. Right, yeah. Uh, because that's a huge part of who I am. Um, so you may cry, but you're definitely going to laugh. <laughs> and uh, again, the book is called Wacky and Proud of It. Wacky and Proud of It. And we're hoping that it's going to be 
uh, coming out in September, October at the latest. Awesome. And people will be able to get that on Amazon and and all the regular places. Yeah, it'll be print to order at the bookstores as well. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And uh, well, thank you good luck. for having me. Oh, no problem. Uh, <laughs> good luck with the book and, and all you do. And thank you so much well, for uh, busting the stigma. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before? No, you I think I'm good. I think I've yacked. I think my throat's <laughs> starting to get a little croaky. So oh, that no. means I've talked too much. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you go so you can rest your throat. (laughs) You have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And thanks again to Denny for being my interviewee for today. And thank you all for listening. As always, you can find me at Becky at that B word.com for my email. You can find all of my posts and previous episodes at www.thatbword.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at that B word one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh. Yeah, not feeling great. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I will talk to you next week. Okay. <laughs>